Welcome to my podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help people build intentional and significant legacies for themselves and their families by coaching them in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to really answer the question of what it's like living on the last frontier from the people who are actually living up here now. And um, today I'm going to be covering something that I've kind of touched on in, in maybe previous episodes here. And certainly I've talked about it extensively on the YouTube channel of the Alaska Realtor. But today we're going to be going, taking a little bit more of a deep dive into seasonal depression and mental health in Alaska. If you've spent any amount of time up here, you know, that is just a fact of life up here. And so we're very lucky to have Tammy Ryan join us today. She is a, a marriage and family therapist, and she uh, currently does work with the, the U.S. Army, but um, I'll go ahead and let you, uh, let's go and talk. <laughs> Hi. Talk yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I've, um, I moved to Alaska um, about 13 years ago and um, have worked for the army for the last 11 years. Um, so this is where I just get to say, you know, I'm speaking for myself, nothing that I'm going to say is a reflection on the United States army department of defense, um, anything like that. This is purely from me. Um, this is also just educational information. This isn't necessarily treatment recommendations or, you know, me telling you how to take care of a problem. It's more about just education and information today. Exactly. So don't, don't feel like you're going to get a, a free therapy session today. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not today. About how this works. Outstanding. All right. Well, let's, yeah. uh, let's go and just jump right into this then. Sure. Um, what kind of mental struggles are most prevalent in Alaska? So for the person where they're not even aware this might play a factor into living mm -hmm. on, up here, um, can you kind of lay that out a little bit on what they can expect? Yeah, sure. So Alaska is a very um, difficult environment. Um, I think it's hard even when things are going really well. It's even more difficult when there's a mental health struggle. So typically the things that we see here are people who really struggle with the extreme lights and extreme dark and also the extreme cold, um, whether it's here in Anchorage or Fairbanks, um, other places like that. There's And there's a big difference between here in Anchorage and, and Fairbanks as far as also the temperature and the light and the dark change. Um, so some of the typical things that we see people struggle with um, are depression, um, just an increase. People who have never experienced any kind of depression before, um, we see that happen quite a bit when people move up here, just because there is such extremes. It's also really far away. Um, it's far away from people's families. It's far away from their hometown. Um, and so it's hope it's far away from just about everything. Um, and so that distance also compounds, um, isolation, um, which also can, you know, impact depression, um, depression, and anxiety kind of hang out together. They're buddies. They like to link up and have a good time together. Um, so where depression is oftentimes there's an anxious element to it as well. So we also see people who, um, just struggle with some anxiety, um, as well as the depression symptoms. I mean, I can certainly, certainly vouch for that just from, you know, kind of my um, experience and then um, observing others as well. But yeah. um, what would you say really causes kind of seasonal depression? Because you kind of mentioned yeah. the, the, the darkness, but then also the light too. So, mm -hmm. you know, what is it that, that creates that in some people? Yeah. So we naturally um, have circadian rhythms um, that are based off of light and dark. Um, so this is where you hear people talk about being a morning, um, a morning lark or a night owl, um, things along that lines. 
And when you live in an environment where it's dark um, or twilight, like for 10, 11 hours out of the day, if not longer, further north you get, that really messes that up. Um, and so what happens is the body just has a really hard time adjusting. So the darkness just makes it difficult. Um, on top of that, we as humans need this love vitamin. Um, we don't get it in the winter time. And that really impacts um, seasonal depression and symptoms. You can have seasonal depression anywhere. Um, it doesn't just have to be existing in Alaska. We see it a lot in the Northern states, Minnesota, Montana, Wisconsin, Maine, places along that lines. Um, it really can impact anybody. Um, it's just more noticeable here. Um, there is a biological um, component to seasonal depression for some people. Um, but a lot of times what we see when people who have never experienced any kind of depression before, when they come to Alaska, that light and that dark just really kind of mess things up. And especially if they come here in the wintertime from a Southern state, um, it is really, really challenging for them because they're coming from and light to someplace that's very cold and dark. Um, so that contributes a lot to it. Um, there's lots of different factors when it comes to depression, um, but those are kind of the big ones that contribute to seasonal depression, the lack of vitamin D, the lack of sunlight, um, and just the completely different, um, kind of just way that you live in a dark environment, if that makes any sense. Gotcha. So is it something where you can slowly get used to it and winter after winter, it becomes less and less of an issue? Like we're just kind of looking at the biological yeah. level, because obviously sometimes depression, depression might not necessarily be linked directly mm -hmm. to the season. Um, it certainly can't help. It might exacerbate yeah. a problem that's already there, but a problem might already be there. That's yeah. not going to get solved just by more vitamin D. So, yeah, uh, but on a biological level, is it something where we kind of adapt and get better to those extreme seasons over time? So if it's a biological depression, it's not going to change. Um, so a lot of times what happens for people who have a kind of biological or organic depression, it's where I like to just say the happy chemicals just don't exist in your brain and you got to buy them from a pharmacy. Um, and the, the light and the dark contributes to increasing those depression symptoms. So while they might already have some minor depression um, and some few, a few symptoms, throw them into an environment that's really cold and dark and those symptoms get worse. Um, and so that's not necessarily something that's just going to go away over time. That's where medication is going to really come into play as well as therapy. Um, people who have never experienced any kind of depression before don't have any symptoms. There are things that people can do to kind of mitigate the, the, the depression symptoms and, and, you know, the dark year, the, the dark years, the dark days um, and months of the year. So things like full spectrum lighting in your house, um, we like to refer to them as happy lights here. Um, but just full spectrum light bulbs are really, really helpful. Um, and that just kind of brings an additional amount of light to the room um, and kind of brightens things up. So we see people who will do that. And frequently that can really help um, because there's more simulated daylight is basically what it is. Um, so that can really help things like um, in the morning, 
setting a timer for a lamp in your bedroom to go off to mimic the natural sunrise to turn a lamp on. So if you know you have to be up at 5 a.m. like I do for my job, I'll set a timer for 4:30 so it kind of kicks on and it slowly brightens up the room. So it mimics a natural sunrise in comparison to just going straight from dark to light. Um, it kind of starts to wake your body up out of um, out of sleep. So there are things and there's kind of those tips and tricks that you can do. Likewise on the opposite end in the summertime, um, you have to have blackout curtains here. It's like a must. Like, I don't know how people survive without having any kind of blackout curtains on your windows. Cause you're trying to go to bed and 11 o'clock at night, it looks like it's five o'clock in the evening. So things like that tips and tricks and things along those lines really help people kind of settle in to Alaska. And if it's not an organic type depression, and it's more situational and it's more just like adapting to Alaska, then those kinds of things are going to help and potentially reduce symptoms. If it's organic, those things are going to help, but it's not going to make things drastically better because that's not, you know, again, your body's just not making those happy chemicals. Right. Okay. So for people who were coming from out of state, um, Mm -hmm. is there any way to know, like, who's going to get impacted by seasonal depression. I don't think there's any test or anything like that. Cause I mean, no. I actually lived up here when I was younger and didn't remember dealing with this at all, but I mean, came back as an adult and it definitely does hit me around January, February. Yeah. And I mean, it sneaks up on you too. You just mm-hmm. feel normal one day you wake up and the next morning and you feel sad and that's yeah, how it feels. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, I like to kind of joke that like, most people don't struggle with the dark as we go into it. Um, you know, it, it doesn't feel so bad going into the dark because there's so many things going on, right? You have, you know, Halloween and you have Thanksgiving and you have Christmas and you have all of these parties and festivals and, um, you have all these things that are going on. And then after the first part of January, after Ferrandi's over, it's like, you just hit a brick wall and there's nothing. And February, the first of February to like middle of March, I think is the most difficult time in Alaska. There is nothing going on and it is dark. And I'm from the Midwest and kind of the first part of March is when the green, the grass starts turning green and the flowers start poking up and the leaves start coming back on the trees. And we're facing another six, seven weeks before we're going to even melt off. So I think that time frame is really the most difficult. And then coming into spring um, is historically um, the trend is that we see an increase in all kinds of different mental health condition issues. And we see a significant spike in suicide. Um, our domestic violence rates go up, our alcohol increases go up because everybody has just hung out in that dark so long that their coping skills have started to dissipate and they just can't anymore. So springtime in Alaska is really difficult because everywhere else is waking up and it's nice and it's sunny and it's warm. And, you know, it's like what, 35, 36 degrees outside today. And I just looked at the weather forecast and there's like a chance of snow. So like, it just, and it's April, right? I mean, I think it was last week. We had a whole bunch, we got earlier this week, we got snow. So there's Alaska in January, February, March. It's just really, really difficult. Um, it's why I always encourage people to take leave during those months, go on vacation, go someplace hot, get out, see something green for a few minutes, um, and come back. But, um, I think the way that you prepare for it is knowing that there's a potential you could have a problem. 
that's the best way to describe it. You have to be active here. Um, if you wait for it to be warm, <clears throat> excuse me, if you wait for it to be warm or you wait for it to not snow or not rain, you will do absolutely nothing. You got to get the right gear, which is not exactly cheap. Um, I know that, but you got to get the right gear and you got to get out. You have to go hiking in the middle of winter, find those paths that are not really difficult snowshoe if you want to try that out. Um, but my friends and I, we try really hard to just, you know, pack the kids up, put them in their snowsuits, put on our winter gear and just go walk around a lake. I mean, it's a half mile walk. It's not big, but you get back and you feel good. You feel energized. Um, you have to walk every day. You know, I, I have a, I have a dog, she needs walked or she just, you know, kind of loses her mind. So doing the things that you would typically do, you just have to gear up and go. Um, because if you don't, you're going to sit home and it's just going to get worse. Same thing with socially interacting with people. Um, there are so many people who move to Alaska who have no family or no support system when they get here. I work for the military. The vast majority of people who move to Alaska have never stepped foot in the state. Um, they don't know anybody here and they get very isolated very quickly. Um, and those things always contribute to people who are struggling with depression. Um, I see it every single day. So getting out, doing things, finding a social group, whether it's, um, you know, something on Facebook, a, a group meetup kind of place on Facebook or you volunteer someplace or you're, um, you know, you join some sort of community activity or a house of worship of some kind, doing those kinds of things and building community is going to greatly insulate you from having negative effects of depression through the winter months. Are there, are there any demographics of people that where the incidence of seasonal depression might be higher than for others? Like, is it, is it an age thing? Is it, no. you know, are there any demographics, no. any predictors whatsoever? I don't think there's necessarily predictors. I will say that people who are from Southern states tend to have more difficulty. Um, bottom line, um, I've never understood why the military sends people from like South Florida and Puerto Rico to Alaska in the dead of winter. I'm like, what are you trying to do? Um, it's just awful. So there's not necessarily a demographic of people who are going to just across the board have more difficulty. People from Southern states aren't used to the cold they're not used to the dark. Um, and so it tends to impact them maybe a little bit more, but as far as like demographics, as far as male, female, age, gender, race, that kind of stuff, um, there's really no way to kind of narrow it down. People who have pre-existing depression, if you've had postpartum depression, um, or you've been diagnosed with depression previously, the seasonal th stuff will impact because it's already there. So that's why you have to kind of come in with a plan of action right off the bat and know what you're going to do so that you can kind of ward off from those symptoms getting worse. Right. So kind of talking about those symptoms, what are, <clears throat> what are some symptoms of the seasonal depression? I mean, I, I, I just mentioned, Hey, I just wake up and I feel sad all of a sudden. I know yeah. oh, it's that time of year again, but you know, yeah. what are some other, other symptoms people can be looking for? So I think the biggest difference between um, kind of see what, what, when we talk about seasonal depression, we're talking about seasonal affective disorder. That's actually the name of it, um, which the acronym for it is SAD, which I've always thought was just terrible. Um, so seasonal affective disorder, pretty much you have all of the depression symptoms lumped together in a season. Um, maybe not all of them, but you meet criteria for 
or a major depressive episode or depression and it's tied to the season. So your classic symptoms of depression, of like depressed mood, um, just general sadness, everything's going well and you still feel depressed and sad. Poor sleep, either sleeping way too much or you just can't sleep enough um, or you don't sleep at all. Um, increase in weight, you just go crazy and you just binge eat um, or you don't eat anything. That real lethargic feeling where you just feel like you're dragging. Um, my favorite therapy phrases are psychomotor agitation and retardation. And what that means is like that you feel, so the agitation portion is you just feel really jittery, um, kind of like a live wire. So your foot's always moving. You're kind of bopping around a little bit or the retardation portion of it is I like to think of it as like just walking through a vat of jello. You feel really slow. You feel really sluggish. Those feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, that social isolation, and even the thoughts of death, not necessarily suicidal thoughts about wanting to kill yourself, but that reoccurring thoughts of just dying and what death would be like or people dying. All of those are symptoms of depression. And when we're talking about a seasonal affective disorder, it's happening related to a season. And that's typically where we see it. Got it. So what do you do if you identify some of these symptoms in yourself? Because, I mean, we talked a little bit about, um, talked a little bit about, um, you know, getting out and just making sure you're staying active. Are there any other things that you can do if you've kind of identified some of these symptoms in, in yourself, if this is your first winter and you're already, you know, you've listened to this podcast, you're educated, you're looking for this stuff. <laughs> Yeah. I think there's several things, like you said, staying active. Um, those are real. That's really important. Developing social group. That's really important. Kind of know your mood. I always encourage people who struggle with things like anxiety and depression to check in with themselves every day, you know, scale of one to 10, 10 being like the worst it's ever been. One being like, I don't even know why I'm asking myself this question. Where am I at today? How do I feel? How do I feel about life? Not in just in a general sense. It doesn't have to be tied to anything specific, but know yourself, pay attention to yourself. Um, are there times of year that you notice that you feel more of these symptoms coming on? Um, and to know that activity is just essential. There's some really interesting research that's come out of the effectiveness of exercise and treating depression. We've always known it anecdotally, and now we have some hard evidence that actually shows that it actually improves people's mood. Um, and so going out and just taking a simple five minute walk outside and breathing the fresh air, even if it's cold, um, that is something you absolutely can do. And that's going to help things. Um, there's many different things that you can do, finding a hobby, devoting your time to that, getting off the couch. So one of the things I see happen a lot when people are feeling depressed is they just don't want to do anything. They just want to kind of sit on the couch, kind of binge watch Netflix and not do anything. And once you get into that, it's really hard to get out of it. So a lot of depression is acting your, yourself, acting your way into a better way of thinking and feeling. So getting off the couch and going and doing something. Um, sometimes big tasks just or tasks themselves just seem really, really difficult to do. Um, so if you have to do the laundry, it's actually multiple different steps, focus on one thing at a time and get that sense of accomplishment of, yeah, I did do something. I did accomplish that. If this lasts longer than two, three weeks, um, and it doesn't get better, you're doing all the things you need to do, taking your vitamin D, you're going out for walks, you're getting tasks done, you're 
engaging socially and you still wake up every morning or just like blah, um, you need to seek medical attention. Um, go see your, your primary care provider, um, seek out a therapist, talk with them. Because what we don't want to see happen is that this develop into something more and get to the point where those thoughts of death actually become something that you're thinking on on a regular basis. So I'm always a fan of stop the problem before it gets bad um, and going in and addressing problems when they're more minor versus letting them when they kind of get out of control and bad. That's the best thing that you can do. And I speak this specifically to the guys who are listening to this because we women are far more likely to go and seek help for things like mental health concerns, like depression, anxiety than men are. Um, and I'm telling you, like I have wives are my greatest referral source because people are like, my wife told me to come in. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure she did. You know, I think it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard for men to step back and say, I'm not doing okay, that there's something going on. Um, but the best thing you can do is pay attention to yourself and seek help. Um, when things aren't going well, the way I like to think of it is, you know, I am not a mechanic. So if I have a car issue, I'm going to go to the person who's a subject matter expert on fixing my car. I'm just a subject matter expert on helping people with their mental health. I am no better or no, you know, there's nothing special or, you know, spectacular about me. I just went to school to learn a skill set, and my job is to teach people that skill set. So if I have to have somebody fix my car, I'm going to go to them and be like, hey, can you help me? Because I don't know how to do it. And that's all going to a doctor or to mental health professionalist. It's just saying, I don't know how to fix this. Can you give me the tools? Right. So what are some negative coping mechanisms? Because we've kind of talked about some, yeah. some positive co coping mechanisms. What are some negative mechanisms? Yeah. Um, so the biggest one I would have to identify is drinking. Um, alcohol is a huge issue in Alaska. Um, you can buy alcohol just about anywhere in the state. Um, or at least in like the like Anchorage proper area, it's really easy to get your hands on. And it's a real easy go-to when you're feeling really bad. It's a depressant. So it actually does the opposite of what people are wanting it to do. Um, and, it, you know, people will say that they'll drink because they need to sleep. And in fact, it actually messes up your sleep cycle. So I would say right off the bat, the first and foremost thing that I tell people who are struggling with any kind of mental health condition, stop drinking. Um, if you're going to drink, drink my, just the, the minorest amount, um, drink on, you know, if you're going to do that and you're on medication, talk with your medication provider to make sure that that's appropriate and it's safe. Um, but alcohol is a huge issue when it comes to like kind of those unhealthy coping skills. Um, does any kind of addictive type behaviors playing on your phone nonstop and not getting out of it, sitting on the couch, just watching Netflix or Disney plus or whatever. Um, those are really difficult. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of us Alaskans would don't want to admit to is just spending a lot of time on Amazon. Uh, so <laughs> there's a lot of things that are hard to get here. And so that just binge Amazon shopping can kind of just be really difficult. Um, so those are kind of some of the things that I would say kind of just right off the bat with alcohol absolutely being the number one. Yeah, totally agree. So what do you do when you identify any of these symptoms in any friends or family? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things is difficult is, you know, when you see something, see somebody that you care about struggling um, and they don't see it within themselves. And so the way I like to think about it is what, what are you trying to tell them? Are you trying to tell them that you're, that they're depressed? Or are you trying to tell them that you're concerned? So coming from a standpoint of, Hey, I've been kind of 
keep watching you for the last week or two and you just seem kind of sad. Like I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. What's going on and ask it from more of a stance of care and compassion versus like, man, you're depressed. You need to do something about it. That's going to cut. I mean, that's going to put people on the defensive every time. So coming from a position of care and concern and just being like, Hey, what's going on? You know, can I help you? Like, is there anything you want to talk about? I just see you struggling and I'm, you know, just, I'm sad that you're having such a hard time. Like, what can we do to kind of help? Um, and to ask those questions from a care and compassion place. And I think you also have to be prepared to ask some of the harder questions. Um, you know, there's this misconception, especially around things like suicide and mental health, that if you ask somebody about it, that you're actually going to contribute to it. And that is completely incorrect. Um, and so ask the hard questions. It's not an easy thing, but that's how you're going to find out information. Um, and the number of times that I have had people walk into my office because somebody asked a hard question and saved their life because of it is more than I can begin to count. So ask the hard questions, tell people that you're concerned about them and then continue to, and then the next thing is, what can I do to help you? Um, you know, do we need to get out? Do we need to like have walking dates? Like, do we need to go out and you know, go to the movies? Like, do we need to go do something? What do you need help with? You know, I noticed that you really hate cooking. I'm going to bring you dinner so you don't have to worry about it. You know, like, Hey, I know that you're working on your car. Can I come over and work on it with you to do those things again, to kind of bring community. And so people aren't isolated. But I think the biggest thing is just talk to them. Hey, what's going on? I'm worried about you is a really good place to start. Yeah. I mean, I really want to really emphasize that to that point that definitely do, you know, be willing to ask those hard questions. And because I mean, they're already thinking this stuff anyway, if they weren't, they absolutely. wouldn't be depressed. So yep. they're already thinking it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, unfortunately there's this, I don't know where that belief started um, that if you ask somebody you know, especially around the topic of suicide, if you ask somebody if they're suicidal, then it's going to make them be suicidal. And that's just absolutely not the case. I've never had that happen. Um, you're more likely to get a response from it that you can actually do something if you actually ask the question. If you don't ask the question, you can't do anything to help them. So to kind of step into that space, again, it can be really awkward, can be really uncomfortable, um, but it's essential. And these are people you care about and you love about love and you want to be able to help them. So asking the hard questions can really help somebody actually stop and think for a second, like what is going on with me? What what is happening? Oh, they're seeing something, man, maybe I'm not okay. Um, so a lot of times when we get isolated, we don't have a lot of input into our system. And so having somebody kind of give us that feedback can be really helpful. Um, and you never know what kind of a change you're going to make in somebody's life by simply asking them a question. Yep. And, uh, definitely making it more of a conversation too. Cause like you said, yeah. if you just come in guns blazing and, um, <laughs> diagnose someone right off the bat without a conversation that's not going to be received very well <laughs> yeah no absolutely not <laughs> no yeah I think it's again going back to the like what you're, you're concerned you care about them you want good things from them you're worried about them um you don't need to come in with the you know I think you're bipolar or I think you have depression 
that's for somebody else with a really expensive piece of paper hanging on their wall to decide. I think your position as a family member or friend is just be like, I care about you, man, what's going on? Like, let's have a conversation about it. What can I do to support you? Um, and that's definitely going to go much further. For people who are considering moving to Alaska, <clears throat> you know, what, what are some things that they need to start thinking about uh, right now for themselves and possibly for, you know, for their family as well, surrounding kind of the mental health and them seasonal depression here? Um, you know, I think the things that they need to consider are, you know, do you have, is, is there any kind of family history of any kind of depressive issues or concerns? Um, and if they are, let's start kind of making a plan of action of how you're going to address that when you get here or before you get here. Um, it's, you know, do your research, do your research, do your research on Alaska, but don't just depend on um, a website necessarily, but find people like yourself or other people who have moved here. If you're within the military community, find people who have lived here, who can tell you what gear to buy, um, what to expect, um, what it's going to be like to move to Alaska in November versus moving in June, um, to connect with people before you even land on the ground. One of my favorite things um is when i get a message from somebody from like college or grad school and they're like hey i have this friend of a friend of a friend who's moving to alaska can you help them out i'm like absolutely um the reality is is that while alaska is still the united states it's like moving to a foreign country um <laughs> you know we speak english and we take the dollar but like it is it is a completely different world up here um so find somebody that you can just connect with but also somebody that you can ask questions of where are good places to live that's why they have someone like you like what are what's a good area of town and where are the good schools at um what are the good restaurants like you know those questions of like when you're moving here you have to find everything new. So find some people that have moved here before, connect with them, ask them questions and start developing that system of support that you would have around you. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to like to mention that we haven't yeah. talked about already? I mean, I think the biggest thing um, that I just want to encourage people in is that, you know, mental health is not a deficiency on their part. Um, if you're struggling, it's not because you're weak-minded. It's not because you're incapable or incompetent. It means that you're in a struggle and you need to find somebody to help you learn to do things differently. Um, likewise with medication, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit earlier that medication really can help people who are struggling with depression. Um, but there's a big stigma around taking medication and that, um, you know, you have to be, you become dependent upon it or that you'll be weak. And the reality is, is that we would never look at somebody who is diabetic and say, don't take your insulin. You're weak. You just need to suck it up and be better. No, that will kill them. Um, and that's the same thing when it comes to mental health conditions. Medication is a vital tool in the toolbox. It's not one that every provider uses or every patient's actually going to need to use, but when it is, it's a vital tool in the toolbox. And, um, it's okay to utilize that tool to help you be the best version of yourself. Um, so I just encourage people in general, in all areas of my life, if you're struggling with mental health concerns, find somebody and talk with them about it. It doesn't have to stay this way. It doesn't have to be bad and difficult. It can be better. And it's okay that you don't know how to do it. Um, you've done what you can to, to get yourself to that point, And now you just get to find somebody who can give you an additional skill set. Absolutely. All right. Well, Tammy, I do really appreciate you, you taking the time to, to share 
your expertise with us and your insights. So, you know, thank you very much for that. Um, is you there, I, I don't know how everything's kind of set up with, with your, um, work and everything, but mm -hmm. if, do you have anywhere you would like people to reach out to you if they do have any other questions or anywhere you um, direct them? Um, so I think if you're, if you're having questions on like how to access mental health, um, care, if you are military, you can reach out to the 673rd air base wing. Um, that's the medical hospital on joint base Elmendorf Richardson. Um, so if you're air force, you can reach out to them. If you're active duty army, you can call the Fort Richardson behavioral or health clinic. Um, that's a place that you would be able to connect with a behavioral health provider. Um, so those are some options as well. Um, there's, you know, if you're TRICARE or your insurance, like Blue Clash Blue Shield is taken up here, those would be good places that you can locate a provider um, through there that will be, you know, authorized through your insurance. And so those would be good places to start looking for, um, you know, assistance and help. Yeah. So that is something that uh, you do struggle with and you might not be, might not be military than that. That certainly is mm -hmm. an option. Um, that is uh, through ACF church, but they mm -hmm. essentially, the church goes and pays for, um, for the, the therapy for people to go through that. So if, um, you know, that is something you find yourself struggling in and the finances are hanging you up, then, you know, make sure that you do go take care of that. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a great resource. Absolutely. But all right. Well, ma'am, I do appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for um, having me. Thank you. Well, I'm sure we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. Thanks. <laughs>